So people who should not do it, if, if you don't know how to handle stress very well or stress shuts you down, probably not something you should consider because there are so many different ways to get stressed. I mean, with us, like some of our shipments come from Canada and we have no control over shipping companies. If it gets stuck at the border, you gotta have that conversation with the client. Hey, your paint's not here. And again, as you grow, those things go away. But when you start, there are a lot of different things that can cause stress for you that if you're not adept at handling that, or if you don't like being in a stressful situation, you should not get into franchising in my opinion. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name's Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. Today, uh, no Dan Claps, just me. And uh, we got some amazing guests here today to talk about um, a really impressive franchise concept that's out there. And uh, But of course, as always, I'll let them kind of do their background. We'll talk about their story, why they chose their brand, and what their experience has been like so far. So we actually have two franchisees from the same brand on today. So super exciting. This is the first time we've done that. But I think it's going to be really, really interesting and a great conversation. So Matt, uh, Matt Gibb and John McEwen, thank you guys both for coming on to the uh, I Fired My Boss Franchise podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Christian. Absolutely. Well, let's start with you, Matt. I mean, tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, where did you where did you come from? And then how did you get introduced to the franchise space? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a pretty kind of short rundown, um, I was in the military and then did 10 years in corporate doing various types of project management, program management, account management, just different things. Um, was working for a startup and just was never always challenged. Like whenever I took on a new role, it would be challenging and fun for about the first six months. And then it would always just become monotonous and easy. And so I started looking into uh, franchising and um, the timing actually worked out really well with me. I had done my due diligence on a handful of different franchisees, but I'm sorry, a handful of franchises and then landed on Sprint. Awesome. Awesome. And then John? Yeah. So um, I'm from Florida originally in North Carolina since 2002. I've been pretty much in the corporate or I was in the corporate suit and tie world um, from 2002, you know, after college until about 2020. And there was a lot that I guess I didn't really care for about working for someone else. Um, it was important for me to have some skin in the game and something that that you know I can pass on to my kids and something that is that's truly mine that I can create. And so I looked at a bunch of different concepts and uh, you know decided I never wanted to wear a suit and tie again and landed on SprayNet and I actually made it from like the beginning of 2021 until this past weekend not wearing a suit. Unfortunately, I had to attend a wedding and. There wasn't really a choice there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's been good, you know. Wearing uh, wearing jeans or shorts and a t shirt is uh, is a lot more fun, and and 
you know, getting out there and making customers happy and creating something is, is, is very rewarding. Amen. I'm sure it's a lot more comfortable. I'm also very against the, uh, the, the suit and tie look. Yeah. Especially during the summer. Not fun. But, um, so, uh, Matt, let's dive into it a little bit more on your side. So, um, were you just already checking out franchise opportunities? I mean, and why, and why franchising as opposed to starting something on your own? So it's kind of funny how it all worked out. Um, so I was at the startup and it was, I'd been there for coming up on a year and it'd been getting easier and easier and wasn't keeping me busy. And so I had been talking with a buddy about trying to find something on the side. Um, and it was just like, I'm just not, I've got more time on my hands than I know what to do with. So I want to do something, kind of add a revenue source. Um, and I had gotten an email from someone that had asked, hey, have you ever thought about franchising? And I had been looking into a different business model that I thought was pretty smart. Um, and so when this guy reached out, he, was, he didn't ask if I had been thinking about it. I had, but not fully in detail like, oh, I want to get into this industry or anything. It was just, I knew I wanted to do something else. And so um, I started those conversations with him, um, kind of had an initial call about what am I looking for? What's the end goal? What do I want to do? Do I want something well-established? Do I want something brand new? Technology, food, just all those questions that we went through. Um, and so throughout that process, very communicative. I did a couple um, like meet and greets with different franchises. Um, while I was doing the due diligence. And then it happened that um, I was originally planning on doing it kind of semi-absentee. Um, and so I signed with SprayNet. And then two weeks later, the startup that I was at, I could kind of see the writing on the wall. They were not making good financial decisions and did a round of layoffs. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, that worked out perfect. Uh, this will be my full-time gig now. And so, yeah, the timing just kind of worked really kind of crazy just across the board on everything. That is insane. So, I mean, what were some of your criteria then? I mean, what, why spraying that? And, and first of all, before we even jump into that, actually, I think for the audience, uh, can you guys give like a brief overview of what spraying that is and what they do? Matt, you can go ahead and then we'll go to John. Cool. Yeah. So, um, spraying it to keep it very simple is, uh, kitchen cabinet refinishing and exterior home painting. And we just added another service that we provide, uh, which is a roof spray, the so reseals and regranules your asphalt shingle roof. Okay. Anything to add to that, John? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's it's similar to, I guess, if you look at Tesla in the the vehicle space, you know, there's something different and cutting edge and innovative. And I feel like spraying that on, you know, maybe a smaller scale is something similar in the painting space. You know, there's a lot of technology involved. We've got custom coatings depending on the surface. Um, everything's, you know, formulated specifically for that surface, whether it's stucco brick, hardy board, uh, vinyl, or, you know, aluminum gutters and trim and whatnot, or doors and windows or kitchen cabinets or garage doors or whatever, or roofs now. And essentially, um, you know, the, the a patented formula chemistry wise with a patented process of, of application and prep work lead to uh, a painting solution that, that, you know, looks brand new on your home and then also is going to last forever. So we offer a 15 year warranty against any kind of chipping or peeling or anything like that. So it's, it's a, it's a solution that can transform someone's home and, um, and is going to last. And really when you're looking at our competition, it's not necessarily other painters, it's, it's replacement. So like with vinyl or hardy board or something that the, 
the real value proposition is that we're giving the same level of longevity that they would receive were they to resurface that that home. Yeah, it gives a totally different feel, almost as if you replaced everything. The look and feel of it is different, but for uh, without all the crazy remodeling costs, right? Right, for sure. And weren't you guys on um, a Netflix show recently too? We were, yeah. Uh, Mike Holmes did a Netflix show down in Atlanta. And it was like a crazy one day complete transformation of this like huge home. And SprayNet did the brick on the exterior. And so it was pretty cool seeing, seeing our logo on there and, uh, and seeing the guys at work. Yeah, that's super cool, man. So, so Matt, let's get back a little bit to uh, now that we've explained to everyone what SprayNet is and what you guys do. Um, let's dive in a little bit to the criteria that you were looking at. I mean, I'm sure you checked out maybe a couple of different franchise options. And like you mentioned, but what was it about SprayNet that really checked all of your boxes? Like, what were you looking for in a franchise? Yeah, so like the very first conversation I had with the the person who was asking about franchising, she's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, no food. And he's like, I know, like 90% of the people say no food. He's like, so what do you want? And I told him, I didn't want something brand brand new, like I'm location one type thing. Um, but I also didn't need to be McDonald's or like something that's been around for 50, 60 years. And so something kind of in the middle, something that is different, not just uh, another like lawn service or something like that. Um, something that does differentiate in its own market. Uh, and then also one of the criteria was the ability to be profitable. Because um, going from corporate to this, I wanted something that I could, as John kind of alluded to earlier, something that I can pass on to my kids like that. I will do well for myself. And so with those criteria, he came back and gave me a handful of different options. And so I started the due diligence process by myself, reaching out to the point of contact that he provided. And for me, um, based on the the few that I had talked to, when I got to SprayNet, it was black and white. Mm. Um, everything had a process. It was, hey, here's the steps we're going to follow. We're going to do kind of a meet and greet first before we even get to talking to people from SprayNet. And then we're going to do kind of a, why are you doing this? Are you a good fit? And then we'll move into the, the flow. Whereas some of the other processes were not as uh, streamlined. It was just kind of a phone call of, hey, here's what we do. Here's how many revenue streams we have. I'll send you over the FDD and then let me know when you're ready to sign. It's like, well, sorry, what? Mm. So it, it was just the whole process behind it and the start to finish um, really just impressed me with SprayNet compared to some of the others I've, I was looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just from the the franchise development process, seeing how that process is laid out, that gives you an insider look and a, a small preview into what their systems are like. If they have a buttoned up franchise development process, then odds are on the back end for the actual business, they have, you know, not always, but, you know, it, it does, it does provide some level of insight. So that's, um, that's important. So. That makes sense, man. What about you, John? I mean, what were some of your criteria and the boxes you were looking to get checked off and, and how does SprayNet do that? Yeah, for sure. Good question. So I wanted, I wanted something that was different. Um, the other, I was looking at several different concepts and there were two that stuck out. One was SprayNet and one was a different company in the home services industry that, um, you know, it was something where the process was a little bit different, but it was the same thing that several different places were doing. And, and as I was going through the meet and greets and the discovery days, you know, I had a similar, similar experience to Matt where they're like, Hey, here's all the documents, look it over, let me know when you're ready to go. 
<laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you're going to show me a piece of paper and then expect me to fork over 150 grand. That's not really the way that I see this working for me. And so um, I guess I did a bunch of research on the other concepts. And each of the other concepts that I looked at, there were, when you Googled whatever service it was, there were like, you know, 50 or 60 that came up very, very close to where we were, where, where I live. And um, SprayNet was different because of the value proposition of the warranty and also an alternative to replacement as opposed to just a painting company. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you look at painters, obviously, especially painting franchises, there's probably 17 within a 20 mile radius of just about anybody in a major metropolitan area. But there's not a single one that offers like a 15 year warranty or um, some of the, I guess, some of the value that we do, uh, especially with, you know, certain certain siding options, like our, our brick stains completely breathable. So it's never going to peel and it's going to maintain the integrity of your home and, you know, let that brick, let moisture get out. Um, our, our stucco coating will actually fill in cracks and stretch over time to keep new ones from forming. So some of the, I guess, the science behind, the science and innovation behind what we offered was something that um, I thought that I could do a good job selling and passing on to, to a customer and translating and helping them understand why we're better. And I think anytime that you have a situation where you've got a better product than the competition, it's going to end up being a win. And that's what I felt we had with SprayNet versus some of the other concepts that were like, well, now there's going to be 22 within 20 miles, you know, instead of with SprayNet, it's like there's, there's not, there, I could not find anything like it. Um, when I was out there looking. So that was that was kind of the differentiator for me. And then also, you know, the people. The people have been have been really cool so far about a lot of things. That's amazing to hear. Yeah, I mean, like the one-to-one competition, there really isn't a ton out there for you guys, it doesn't seem like. I mean, yeah, there's painting companies, but the value proposition is there. There's a clear and real differentiator. So I think that that absolutely plays into things. And and just from a belief standpoint, right? If you can't get behind the product that your business is going to offer, then you shouldn't you shouldn't be getting involved in that business. Period. And so, belief is important. Understanding that it's truly a value to the end user critical. So, I, I did want to follow up on that, John. What um, in terms of due diligence? I mean, how did how did you go about doing that? So, it sounds like you did some competitive market analysis, and you looked at some of the competition for the other concept you were looking at, but how, what did that due diligence process really look like for you? Well, so I was I was one of the the first United States franchisees when SprayNet moved from Canada down to America. So there were there were only I think two American franchisees um, that I could really reach out to and talk to. One of them did very well his first year, and the other one not so much. Uh, so I spent some time on the phone with them and made sure that this was something. Because I mean, the biggest thing is, is this going to translate from Canada to the US? Mm. Because we've got, we've got a very different demographic of homeowner here in terms of what they're looking for, in terms of how marketing works with them, in terms of just about everything across the board. Like it's two different countries. And so the big thing for me was, you know, can I sell this and make it translate to the American audience? Um, and so that's what I sort of wanted to make sure. So I talked to a bunch of the, the Canadian owners and then also the, the U.S. owners that I could get a hold of um, and, and ended up, you know, making the job. So it was basically just 
spending a whole lot of time on the phone talking to people who, for whatever reason, um, who had been franchisees and making sure that I had the belief that I could sell this Canadian product and service to the U.S. market. Absolutely. I mean, that's really the, the number one way to get the right information is just to talk to as many franchisees as possible. Obviously, in the beginning, not quite as readily available, especially if you're one of the first franchisees in the U.S. So I think that, I mean, I commend you. I think that takes a ton of guts. But obviously, you know, would you rather be in Orange Theory Fitness, you know, now when you can't even really buy one or, you know, when it was first coming out and you had all that that room to to take off? So I think that that's awesome. This was also, this was also 2021. I started the process in 2020. So this is also like mm. fresh off of COVID and all that stuff. So there was no earthly way that I would consider buying anything that, you know, could be shut down. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was home services seemed to be the way to go, and and the housing market was booming, and and you know, it's it's been good because we do cost a little bit more than traditional painting because there's a, that value prop there. But with with the housing market going insane in 2021, you know, everybody was moving and wanted to revamp their home. Now that the housing market's not as crazy, interest rates are up, but people are staying where they're at, and since they can't move to a new house. They're like, oh well, let's spend the money on our existing home. So it's been it's been good so far. Exactly. No one's given up that three percent mortgage to go get something much higher elsewhere. Right. So they're just going to reinvest into the house they already have, like you said. I mean, that's that's very true. All right. So Matt, I mean, so now, I mean, you guys are both up and running at this point, obviously. So let's talk a little bit about what that initial ramp up looked like, Matt. What was that like for you? What were some of the challenges you faced? Let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So my. Um, I'm definitely newer than John to it. Um, this is my first year. Um, mm-hmm. So I started everything. I started the process last year. Um, was ready to go. Had all the conversations with Spraynet. Got everything signed and stuff. And then my uh, SBA, the route that I was going for funding, um, that took a little longer than I was told it would. Longer than I had hoped it would as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely slowed down my timeline and when I wanted to launch. So. Um, the SBA was the biggest hurdle that I had. Um, everything else from the onboarding standpoint was kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. SprayNet literally had a PDF with all of the links to it of, hey, here's, here's what you need to buy for your location. And then we just have a couple pallets with all of the first supplies that you need to get going. So you don't have to worry about missing something. So... Um, that was really nice. So I'm very coming with my background in project management, very process oriented and task. And it's like, oh, here's a checklist. I literally just check the boxes. So starting out was um, was very straightforward from the SprayNet standpoint. Um, it was just the challenges I ran into were on my end. I need to figure out Colorado tax laws, um, Colorado LLC, the businesses. Like, so I had, I had to do some research. But again, that was all on me and a part of what I was taking on with the business. So yeah, it was exactly as I was told it would be from the franchise. That's that's great to hear because that doesn't always happen with a lot of franchise concepts out there. So it is nice when it does work out like it's supposed to and they didn't oversell and under deliver. It sounds like it was the opposite, which is right. awesome. Um so how, so how about for you, John? I mean, what did that initial ramp up look like and what were some of the the issues or challenges or potential setbacks that you ran into? Yeah, I mean, the big issue was that the big issue for me was marketing. Um, the marketing that 
was recommended and some of the stuff that I tried just didn't work. Like some of the stuff, I sort of touched on this earlier, American and Canadian homeowners are two different demographics. So the stuff that worked there did not translate as well here as I had hoped as far as just lead generation. Um, so that was, that was the big one. I think that, uh, you know, the, on the production side of things, they do a really good job with training and they actually send people down from Canada to train your team on their process and, and the way to do everything. So that was good. Um, but the, the big thing was just, you know, marketing was not, was not my favorite aspect of the business for, for a while. So, um, you know, I spent a, a ton of money doing stuff that didn't work. And luckily, we're not doing that anymore. So, And you found a way around it? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yep. That's what, that's what entrepreneurs do, right? Right. And you figure it out. Exactly. All right. And so, and, and to stay on you, John, I mean, so what does that, what does that day-to-day look like when you first started? And what, you know, how has that shifted over time now that you've been in it for a little while? Um, yeah. So when I first started, I was... I'm I'm naturally a in business a, a pretty controlling person. Like I want to have my hand in everything, and I want to wear all the hats. Especially when this is sort of my baby, you know. Um, I had to learn to delegate and trust my crew a little bit more, and sort of get it so that I could work on the business as opposed to in the business, um, because I just didn't have enough time in the day. I mean, I was I was the first probably year I was, you know, up at 530 every morning, was on the ground with the crew the entire time that they were that that they were working. And then if I had quotes, I would leave to the quote and come back and, you know, bring Gatorades or waters or whatever. Um, and then, you know, would would get home and be doing computer work until eleven o'clock at night. And that just wasn't sustainable. And that's also not why I got into business in the first place. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I did it to to take control of my time, not to become a slave to the company. So um I've had to learn a little bit of, you know, letting go, delegating and stuff like that. And then, I mean, luckily, you know, two years in, my crew is to the point that I can get them started, say, this is this color, this is this color, this is this color. Y'all know what to do. Go ahead. And and they do it. And I could come back, shake a hand and collect a check, <laughs> um, which is nice. You know, that's what that's that's the part that that I really enjoy is is that that customer interaction. And when someone sees their home you know, for the first time, for the second time, then and, and is super happy and excited and jumping up and down. That's what makes you feel good. And then they give us a check, which makes us feel good. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's sort of my, my level of involvement on the production side of things now. Um, sales has been something that, you know, I taught for several years before signing on with Brainet. So that's something that I still do myself. Um, eventually I'm probably going to need to, to delegate that out, but that one I'm holding on a little tighter to. Um, and then of course, you know, marketing, accounting, all that fun stuff. It's just, it's, uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's, it's much better than wearing a suit working for somebody else. So. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to I fired my and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. And, and then Matt, for you, since you're a little bit more early on, I mean, what does your day-to-day typically look like at this point? So um, mine is a lot more. And this is something that I really appreciated about SprayNet is from the very first conversation that they, they emphasized, like the first year is the hardest. Mm-hmm. You don't know everything. 
And so it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I got to figure out, like I was saying, I had to research Colorado tax laws and how to set up a business and all that kind of stuff. Now that I'm in it, um, I got, I built out a great team, which definitely took a few iterations of people to get there. Um, but like right now, I've got my team on site, uh, wrapping up a job with a very challenging customer. Um, but the team has great customer service or, or, and it is reflected in our reviews and stuff. So that's letting me kind of step back and do what John said, focus on working on the business instead of in it. Mm. But as year one, I've still got a really small crew, just three people. So when someone has to leave, when someone's sick, I'm definitely boots on the ground with them doing, doing the actual job still. So I've got, I think, a little more time before I can fully step back and turn that all the way over to them. But I am finding a nice balance right now. Of, and then the same thing that John said, all of the sales, that's all on me. Um, marketing, handling anything like that, like all the home shows and events and things like that that I try to coordinate, all of that's on me still. So that's where my focus is right now is growing the business, letting my team produce the jobs that we've signed and get those five-star reviews and, and that customer service, that customer interaction. Absolutely. Well, I think the nice thing too is in the, I mean, it's a pretty lean model, relatively speaking, compared to a lot of other franchises out there. Of course, if it's a brick and mortar concept or a food concept with tons of part-time labor and this and that, um, you know, that, that can be a lot to handle at first, especially for a first-time business. So it is, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine it's kind of nicer to know that, okay, I don't have to have this massive team right out of the gate. I can, you know, stay lean. I can scale leaner than, than many other concepts that are out there. Yeah. And not bite off more than I can chew. And that's something that SprayNet has been, again, just as transparent about, which is nice. The here's your startup cost, and it's a truck and a trailer, essentially, to get started, which is mm-hmm. substantially less than a brick and mortar that you just said. <laughs> and then I've got yes. a crew of three. And I know from what my understanding is, generally about three to five people on your first crew is what I have. And so not trying to fill an entire restaurant full of employees working shifts and things like that. It's on a crew that works well together and then we'll continue to grow the business together. Absolutely. And speaking of crews, John, what was, uh, how has hiring been? I know that the labor component for a lot of people can be a somewhat nerve wracking. Um, you know, that's a big concern for people and labor can be a big challenge. So how, how has that been for you? How have you found your people? What level of support has BrainNet provided on that front? Um, well, that's, I mean, that's something that I had a lot of experience with from my, my previous job. I was in charge of coaching, training, hiring, firing operations, mm. sort of everything. Like, I mean, basically, this is why I decided to get into a franchise because I essentially ran a business without any skin in the game, without any kind of the ownership. Um, so I wanted to, if I was going to do that, I might as well get the profit too. Um, so, yeah, so recruiting was always something I was really good at. Um, I've always believed that you recruit based on values, attitude, and character. And then you teach skills. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I've done. Um, I luckily learned a lot about Indeed and ZipRecruiter in you know my former career. So every time I've needed people, I'll, I'll spend a couple bucks, blast out an Indeed ad, get 60 responses within a day, You know, call the ones that I like, um, sit down with 10 of them and hire one or two. So that's sort of... I have, I have not had the challenge that a lot of people have just because of previous skill sets. 
Um, and I've been very fortunate for that because I know that that hiring has not been the easiest thing across the board. And and it's 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 tough in today's market. You know, you can put a ton of time and energy and and and, and resources into someone and then have them just bounce to another job if you don't have a good culture. So building that culture is important too, obviously. And how do you structure your process then? Is it like a do you do you like a three step interview process? Is it just a couple? I mean, how, how do you do that and no, I mean we're not we're we're not hiring executives. Right. We're hiring we're we're hiring someone who can put tape along the outside of a window and then pick up trash. Yeah. So it's sort of you you hire someone who can do that with the hopes that they'll be able to pay attention to your crew leader and your painters and things like that and, and eventually move up and learn new skills. But that's sort of where everybody starts. So you know, you look for things like a positive attitude, a smile, not complaining, show up to work on time, um, can take direction, can take criticism without shutting down. Um, you know, just just basic basic skills of being a decent person, I guess. Yeah. And then just because I mean, we're like I said, we're not looking for C level executives or you know a marketing manager or a, a top level salesperson or a doctor or a nurse or something. We're looking for people who can tape a straight line and then pick up trash. Fair enough. Yeah, I want to add one thing on what John said. The thing that I really like about the model that um, one of the things that always irked me about corporate was you work, you, you do your job, you do it well for a year, and then it comes time for your annual review, and your boss loves you and it's great. And then their boss is like, oh, here's what I'm doing with the budget. Doesn't matter what you say. I'm not giving them the bonus that you want. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, hey, we have a new position. We're hiring from someone external to come teach you guys how to do your job you've been doing for years. Like that always was one thing that I didn't love about corporate. And to John's point, when I'm bringing on new people, it's with a very clear career path that, hey, as you come in, you need to learn the basic skills. But as we continue to grow as a company, I don't want to hire someone who doesn't know who SprayNet is. I want to promote from within and it's very beneficial to the company to do that. It keeps the career path for the employees, it makes them want to learn more, knowing that there is growth for them. And then it's also they can see as the business grows, kind of where that is. And, and that's been something that is driving my employees. They're very hungry to learn and very excited for the business to grow and they want me offsite so I can grow the business so they can step into that team lead role as they continue to learn. So I love it. I think that's that's smart to do. Um I wanted to talk a little bit about SprayNet as a as a company. Obviously, the culture, but I mean, something that I think of as being a a pretty big benefit in franchising is the fact that you have a network of other franchisees that you can build relationships with, learn from, give tips and advice to, mentor, be a mentee. Um, so, how, how have you guys felt about that with SprayNet? Do you think it's been really advantageous to have a a great network of other franchisees, or do you think that's kind of Overblown and oversold when people are talking about the benefits of franchising. No, I mean I I think it's good. You know, there's there's some that um, I talk to several times a week. There's a couple that have actually become friends. You know, it's definitely something that it's good having other people to bounce ideas off of. Um, and and you know, it's when I guess when problems arise, it's always good to have a couple set of eyes on them because they might think of something I don't and vice versa. And it's good to be able to have that 
relationship and that culture where you can bounce ideas off each other and kind of tackle problems and come up with solutions together. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know Matt's take on it, but I'm sure he, I, I would guess he feels the same, even though I'm not a psychic. So, <laughs> no, but you are spot on, John. And one of the things that I like with where I'm at right now, John was one of the first ones in the States. Um, and so I'm, getting to benefit from his experience and what he's helped Sprint learn. But I've reached out to the Canadian guys who've been doing this for coming up on a decade. And I also put together a call with other rookies. Like every other week, we all just hop on a call like, hey, what are the challenges? There's a couple more senior guys on there as well when they can make it. But it kind of goes both ways. Like I have plenty of people that I can ask questions and they can mentor me. And then as we're continuing to grow in the States, um, as new faces are coming in, you've got that opportunity to try to share the lessons learned, the pain points that you struggled through that might make the their kind of kick off a little easier, which helps everybody for the entire brand. So just up and down the ladder, it's it's nice. It's been very helpful. Yeah. So so when we always say that uh, you're in business for yourself and not by yourself, that that old cliche. I mean, there's an element of it that's actually true. That's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, I mean, this has been awesome. Just a couple of uh, other quick questions I'm curious about, then we'll, we'll wrap up. But so, like, what do the next several years look like for you guys? Obviously, SprayNet is, is the main focus. You're still ramping and scaling that up. But uh, John, what do you want the future to look like? I know sometimes people are like, let me start with one brand, get another brand to layer it on. I mean, do, do you have any plans there is just to blow up SprayNet as much as possible? Um, definitely blow up spray net as much as possible. I don't know. I, I think I've learned enough that if I was going to add something else, um, I don't know that I would do another franchise. Mm. I mean, going back three years, I definitely would. But I think that um, there's been some, uh, some great learning and some great growth in running and operating a business that, that I've learned through this journey. So I think that if I was to jump on board something else, and unless it was just some like insane concept that I was like, I can't let this go, um, I think that that I would probably try to start something from scratch. I love it. I love it, Matt. I definitely have some very ambitious goals that I've made Sprint aware of, and my team, and having the additional service to now add with the roof spray especially in here in Colorado. Um, I, I've got, I definitely will be just solely focused on exploding spray net in Colorado. Makes sense. Fair answer. Well, last question, then we'll wrap up here. I mean, so, so John, and I guess really to both of you, we'll, we'll start with you, John. Um, what, what's the advice, some of the top three pieces of advice you might give to somebody that's thinking about buying a franchise Thinking about running a business, and uh, maybe maybe the type of person that that should do this versus shouldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I think that the for any any business starts with sales, so there's got to be a sales component either inherent in the business owner or someone that they have that they can offer a partnership or an employee relationship to. Um, because you know you could be the best painter or mosquito sprayer or roofer or cook or whatever in the world. And if you can't figure out lead generation, how to get people to reach out to you and how to get quotes, then um, you know there's no way that you're going to make any revenue. So sales, I think, is concept number one. Um, it's something that you know it, it, it drives every business 
on the planet. So if they don't have that, then they need to find it before jumping headfirst into risking a bunch of money on something. Uh, number two, there's got to be an, an, an attitude of extreme ownership to where, you know, I, I've never owned another franchise and I think Spray Night's pretty good about, about communicating and teaching what to do, what not to do, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's not on SprayNet whether we you know, eat or don't. So you've got to have that extreme ownership mentality that if something's not working, it's on you to figure it out. And I think that's something that's really important that a lot of people jump into franchises and business ownership as a whole thinking that this is going to be you're told what to do and it's going to work all the time. And that's just not the way the world works. Um, number three, grit. I mean, there's, there's, you've got to be self-driven and self-motivated. Like it, it's, it's not like a job where you wake up and you've got a clock in at eight o'clock and you know, at five, you're off. You know, you, you're normally, you're normally up way earlier and up way later on some days than, uh, than a typical employee. And, and you've got to have that, that grit and that self-determination and that self-motivation because no one's going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do something, then nothing happens. So um, those would be, uh, those would be my three. I, I don't know if that's in order of, of, in order of importance, but those are definitely, you know, three big ones that without those things, I don't think any franchise or business owner is going to be successful. I just think that the, the ownership mentality is far more important because a lot of people start franchises. And I mean, I've met people who have failed at franchises and I think a lot of them sign up, um, whether spraying that or whatever else or starting their own thing because they think, Oh, this is going to be easy, but particularly with franchises because it's like, there's a playbook to follow. And, you know, just because there's a playbook, it doesn't mean that things always go according to plan. So you got to be able to kind of figure it out on your own. For sure. Yeah. Look, you got to run the play. I mean, at the end of the day, They'll, they'll give you a great playbook. You know, not every franchise is created equal. Some have superior support and superior playbooks. But at the end of the day, you're the X factor. You're the one that has to run the play. And I love what you said about the sales component. You know, I don't think people need to be, you know, Mr. You know, cold call salesman type person, but you need to have a certain level of people skills where you're comfortable going out there and promoting your business, telling people about what you do, because nothing happens until a sale make, until a sale takes place. And no sale takes place until a lead is generated. And so if you can't be the one that's driving the business forward and doing that, then you're probably going to have a difficult time. Um, and I love Extreme Ownership, amazing book by Jocko Willink, for those that haven't read that incredible book. And I think that that mindset is just, if you don't have that mindset of this is up to me, if it's going to be, it's up to me. If you don't have that mentality, I, I think that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't be involved in business or franchising. So I love what you said there. Um, Matt, same question to you. I mean, what would, be some top pieces of advice that you would offer to people thinking about buying a business and, and who are the people that should just not, not do this thing? So people who should not do it is if you don't know how to handle stress very well or stress shuts you down, probably not something you should consider because there are so many different ways to get stressed. I mean, with us, like some of our shipments come from Canada and we have no control over shipping companies. If it gets stuck at the border, you got to have that conversation with the client. Hey, your paint's not here. And again, as you grow, those things go away. But when you start, there are a lot of different things that can cause stress for you that if you're not adept at handling that, or if you don't like being in a stressful situation, you should not get into franchising, in my opinion. Um, the other thing I would caution people against is um, 
if, if when you're looking into franchises and stuff like that, and it, everybody will give you just kind of an idea of like, oh, it's 50000 to get started. If you have exactly $50,000, you're probably going to be a little uncomfortable. You should not do that. Um, make sure you're, you're able to kind of handle some unforeseen circumstances as they come up for your first year. Or I mean, I don't know, John, you can let me know. First year or two of business. Um, but then the other thing I would say, the, the kind of biggest thing is, it's your, uh, I think a lot of it will be determined by your attitude. Mm-hmm. So if you start having a negative thing and you start thinking negative, you're going to spiral. And you'll find other franchisees who will feed into that with you. Like, oh, they're not doing this for us. And, but on the other side, if you do see the, that you bought into a good system and that they are there to help you because they make money when you make money and you keep that in mind, um, it, it makes it a lot. It makes your business a lot more successful. Amen. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, just to wrap up and offer some of my own thoughts, I think you have to approach the franchisor franchisee relationship both on both ends from a place of good faith where you're assuming that everyone's here to do well, make money, make an impact in the community. And, you know, you have to approach it from the standpoint of, and even though it's not always true, there are some franchises out there that will nickel and dime you and have profit centers that I think are not uh, fair to the franchisee that are above and beyond royalties. You really should be making most of your income, if not all of it from royalty income from your franchisees being successful. But yeah, you have to approach that relationship in good faith, assume good intentions first until they give you reason to think otherwise. But yeah, I think that makes, that makes a ton of sense. And people, yeah, if you don't have that attitude of, of, of grit, I mean, yeah, again, you're buying a, a system, but you got to be the one to execute and run that place. So, um, I think that that's, that's wise advice. And in terms of undercapitalization as well, if you're just like right there, you probably shouldn't do it because one of the biggest reasons businesses fail is you either have, you're undercapitalized in terms of financials or you're undercapitalized in terms of the skills that you should have to be successful at the business. And so if you have either one of those, and especially the, not the money to get through the ramp up period, I think that there's definitely some challenges that'll come up there. So uh, love what you guys have said. I really appreciate you both so much for taking the time to uh, come on here and, and share about your experience as franchisees. I mean, that really is the whole purpose of this podcast is to help people understand like, what's it really like, you know, so they don't get talked into buying something that maybe they shouldn't buy. And on the flip side, maybe they should get excited if they are the right kind of person, because there's a ton of amazing rewards for the right kind of person when you get into franchising. So um, thank you both, Matt, John, really appreciate you guys coming on. And, uh, Everyone that's listening, if you would like our help buying a franchise, obviously reach out to us at uh, the I Fired My Boss, uh, info at ifiredmybosspodcast.com. And we'll go ahead and see you on the next episode. Thanks, Christian. Thanks. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 